1: So today's topic is about the Alzheimer's gene and how to implement the Bredesen protocol to help treat cognitive decline, dementia, and Alzheimer's. I'm so very excited about today's show because my special guest is Julie Gregory. Let me tell you a little about her. Julie is a founder and president of ApoE4.info a nonprofit focused on learning about the ApoE4 gene. This vibrant online community is disrupting mainstream medicine by connecting carriers of the gene with Alzheimer's researchers from all over the world to identify strategies to prevent and even mitigate symptoms of cognitive decline. Julie has also partnered with Dr. Dale Bredesen to help write a follow-up to The End of Alzheimer's, uh, which will feature a step-by-step handbook, which is available fall of
2: 2019.
1: Julie, thank you so much for being my special guest today on this episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show.
2: Thank you for inviting me.
1: So I'm so happy that you're here to share your story. I think that's a good place to start is... Just sharing your personal story and how did APOE4 info get started?
2: Well, the story behind APOE4.info is closely tied to my personal story. So, about seven years ago, when I was about to turn 50, I decided to take part in genetic testing with 23andMe. And this is when 23andMe was also reporting health information. And at this time, I was having some ongoing medical issues, and I thought genetic testing might help me better better understand what was going on. So I got my results, and they were all pretty benign, with one exception. I learned I carried two copies of the APOE4 gene. And I have to say, it took me a couple of weeks to months to fully absorb what that meant. Um, For your listeners, I'm referring to the apolipoprotein gene, and everybody gets a copy from each parent, so we all have two copies. There's three common versions. Um, There's the E2, that is pretty rare, and it's considered to be protective against Alzheimer's. There's E3, that's very common, and it's neutral with regards to Alzheimer's, and then is the Epsilon 4 version and this is very closely associated with the most common form of Alzheimer's. ApoE4 heterozygotes, those are folks who carry one copy and they comprise somewhere between 20 and 25 percent of the world's population, have a mildly increased risk of Alzheimer's. It's higher for women and ApoE4 homozygotes like me have a greatly increased risk. And once again, it's higher for women than it is for men. Um, It's very rare to carry two copies of this ApoE4 gene. It's less than 2% of the population, uh, but that's still a lot of people. In the United States, it's still 75 million people. And the reason this was so frightening for me, I mean, learning that I'm at very high risk for Alzheimer's is frightening for anyone. But at that time, I was already exhibiting symptoms of cognitive decline. I was having pretty frequent senior moments, and I wasn't a senior. I remember driving home one day. I was on a very familiar road. This was my regular beaten path. Driving home from work one day, and I looked up at a stoplight, and I had absolutely no idea of where I was. And the feeling only lasted for a couple of seconds, but as you can imagine, it was terrifying. Um, I think around the same period, I began to have encounters in the town where I lived for the past 20 years where I would run into people who would approach me in a very familiar way. They would begin talking to me about my family and their families. I had no idea of who they were. I knew I was supposed to know them, and it was so disconcerting. It was socially embarrassing and awkward. And I just fumbled my way through the conversation, trying not to let the person know I didn't know them. I just wanted to get away. Um, I could give you so many examples of things like this. But the worst part of it all was that over time, my world just began to get smaller. I began to get nervous about driving I would feel the need to plan out my routes to very familiar places, like to my office or to my son's school or to the grocery store, places I went every day. I thought ahead of time where I would park, I was so afraid that feeling of being lost would come again and I wouldn't know what to do. Um, So I think that was the worst part of all. I was also very nervous about running into people who would know me. Um, It was just a really frightening time. I finally revealed to my husband that I had this high genetic risk, and he, you know, is my emotional anchor, and I fully expected him to say, oh, you're fine, you know, you're just stressed, we're living a fast-paced lifestyle, but instead of saying all that, when I told him I thought I might already be exhibiting symptoms of Alzheimer's, you know what he said to me? He said, that explains a lot, Julie. blew me away. I did online cognitive testing and I found out I was in the mid 30th percentile for my age group and that wasn't like me. In my graduate work and postgraduate work I'd very easily gotten straight A's. I'd always learned and remembered easily. I was getting a lot of evidence that something was going on. So I dove into Alzheimer's. I was like, what is Alzheimer's? I had heard of it before. I thought it was associated with only older people. Um, And I thought, well, there must be a pill or something you can take. But as you know, Alzheimer's is incurable. I learned it was progressive. And most frightening, I learned it was fatal. Most patients die within 10 years of symptom onset. So the... The terror I was already feeling just went to unbelievable levels uh, when the magnitude of all this began to sink in. 23andMe provided online forums where all these people who were learning of their apo E 4 status from all over the world could gather. And as you can imagine, initially we... Uh, began offering one another emotional support. A lot of us were pretty devastated by this information, especially people like me who were exhibiting symptoms. But once we developed this sense of community and support, we, we rolled up our sleeves and we got down to business. We dove into the science and we began soliciting help from everyone we could neuroscientists, researchers, physicians. We were reading and analyzing medical research studies and papers. We were working to find strategies that could protect our brains. That was our primary focus. And as I began to learn about these strategies, Dr. Carey, I began to apply them. So I started tracking and tweaking specific biomarkers, like my fasting blood glucose, my insulin, my vitamin D levels, my homocysteine my homocysteine levels, and, and, and more. I changed my diet a lot. I started to exercise differently. I began to consciously reduce my stress load by meditating every day. I focused on optimizing my sleep. I started taking some targeted supplements. Curcumin was the first one. And it's not an understatement to say it rocked my world. It made a huge difference. During this period, I also did online brain training every single day. Um, The training was supposed to be 15 to 20 minutes in length. But if I didn't beat my score from the day before, I did it again. And I tried to beat my score every day. So I put together this program for myself that was pretty intensive. And over time, I had some pretty remarkable results. My world opened up again. Um... I was no longer afraid of thriving. I could confidently navigate anywhere, and I did. I once again knew all the people in my world that I was supposed to know. I even remember the people that I didn't know in those once awkward encounters. All those memories came back to me. I know how I knew them. I knew their family members. I knew everything about them. Um, I now even find myself in a position when I'm taking a walk in the neighborhood with my husband and a neighbor approaches us and I see this blank look on his face and I have to whisper in his ear who they are. It's like all of the deficits I was experiencing came back. So I repeated the online cognitive testing and by the time I turned 51, I was in a high 90th percentile for my age group. During this time, the APOE4 communities that we had built on 23andMe were very active. We had hundreds of pages of collaboration, um, all these medical studies that we had analyzed and debated, uh, lots of end of one experimentation like mine where people shared what they were doing and the results they were getting. We had all this advice from various experts. And two other APOE4 carriers and myself realized we were sitting on a treasure trove of APOE4 information that had never been gathered in one place. So in October of 2013, we moved away from 23andMe, and we created our own independent online community, APOE4.info. And several months later, we attained nonprofit status to help us with our work. And our primary focus is to learn all we can about the APOE4 gene and how it impacts health. Our ultimate goal is to try to find strategies that we can use to mitigate our high risk not only for dementia but also for heart disease. Um, It's been a fascinating journey. And the people in this community are certainly, I consider, to be my family now.
1: Your ApoE4.info website does have a great amount of information. I even refer my patients who don't have ApoE4.
2: Wow. Um,
1: I, refer, I say go to this website. Even though you don't have ApoE4, you're still at risk. You're having right. a cognitive decline or you've been diagnosed with dementia. All of the lifestyle changes are still applicable,
2: You're so right. I think we just have to apply them more strictly. So all APOE genotypes are at risk, um, and I think everyone can benefit from participating with our community. I mean, our only focus is to save our cognitive health, and so we look at everything through that lens.
1: And so as you're speaking and telling your story, I know for the listeners out there, they are a bit awestruck in the sense of like how is that possible that you in your forties you were having cognitive decline, and here you are at fifty one you said and you're well, like you're no so,
2: i i i am fifty six now well oh, you did a yeah.
1: retest at fifty one
2: I did the retest so at the retest fifty one
1: 51 sorry I didn't mean for you to say your
2: age (laughs) I wish I was no I wish I was 51
1: (laughs) um at your retest at 51 how much you had improved and and I try and stress this to my patients that there is so much that can be done and that they should have hope and that doing the protocol that you're doing is also difficult like you need to be committed it is a total lifestyle change and that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is that you are a success story you're you're living it you're breathing it um, you see the changes and right. motivate those other people out there because it's hard for them so can you tell us how did you eventually connect with Dr. Dale Bradison?
2: well I was already several years into what I call my healing journey when I stumbled upon his paper and reversal of cognitive decline, a novel therapeutic program. I think it came out in the autumn of 2014. Um, And for your listeners who weren't aware of this, in this paper he shares 10 case studies from people, I think several were diagnosed with Alzheimer's, all were exhibiting cognitive decline. And he applies a protocol with these folks And 9 out of the 10 reversed the cognition after applying his protocol. So the title of his paper alone, Reversal of Cognitive Decline, it just blew me away. Um, Then I got to Therapeutic Systems 1.0. And this is a table where he lists the strategies that he used to reverse cognitive decline. And, you know, mind you, he has an elegant scientific theory and he's got very personalized medicine but in my own kitchen sink way, I had been using the same strategies Dr. Bredesen was using with similar results. And reading this paper was like this amazing confirmation of my journey. And I think in a much smaller way, my journey is a confirmation of Dr. Bredesen's approach. Um, I have to tell you, I sent Dr. Bredesen an email right after I um, I read his paper never expecting him to reply. But he replied that same day, and we actually spoke on the phone uh, a few hours later. And he was so eager to hear my story. He wanted all the details of my prior symptoms, my prior health issues, all the strategies I was using. He was particularly interested in my diet, my exercise routine. Um, And I have to tell you, he was thrilled to learn of my um, story, but he was equally thrilled with the whole APOE4.info project in our our community, and he's been a really big supporter of our work ever since then. Um, I have to tell you, Dr. Bredesen has also helped me in my recovery. So a few years ago, I felt like I was plateauing. I was working the protocol just as hard as I always had, but I my overall health was slipping again, and my cognition was slipping. So around this same time, Dr. Bredesen was identifying um, what he calls his third subtype of Alzheimer's that he refers to as a toxic type. And every time I saw him, I would run into him at various trainings or conferences, He would sometimes scream across the hallway, what's your TGF beta 1? What's your C4A? What's your alpha MSH? And it was like a foreign language to me. I didn't know what he was talking about. But I had revealed to him that I was plateauing, and he was pushing me to get all these biomarkers tested. And I finally relented, mostly to to prove to him he was wrong, that this had nothing to do with me. But I had really devastating results with all of this testing. I learned that I was overwhelmingly positive for chronic inflammatory response syndrome, abbreviated SIRS, that he correlates with a type 3 Alzheimer's. And so, talk about scary. I had extraordinarily high levels of inflammation. I think the um, upper level for TGF. Beta-1 is something like 2,800. Mine was 40,000. My C4A, I think the upper level somewhere in the high 2,000s was 20,000. I mean, my numbers were way off the chart. So as you know, when you have SIRS, you have to figure out what's driving it. So I, I took a genetic test to learn my HLA-DR-DQ haplotype, and this reveals a genetic signature that can point you towards what could be driving it and my testing indicated I was susceptible to a chronic Lyme disease infection. So Lyme disease was a furthest thing from my mind but I had been bitten by a tick about 15 years before and I developed that bullseye rash but I took antibiotics back then I think for a week or 10 days. So I thought that was addressed It was really hard to find a Lyme disease specialist um, in my geographic area. I had to wait several years, and I knew as an APOE4 homozygote with those very high inflammatory markers, I didn't have a couple years. So Dr. Bredesen helped connect me with Dr. Sanja Schweig at the California Center for Functional Medicine. And Dr. Schweig did some exhaustive testing with me, that revealed it wasn't Lyme disease, but I had an acute Lyme disease co-infection called babesiosis. And I've been working on that along with some ongoing gut issues, and I'm feeling a lot better. Um, This past week, I just did an Igenex test, and I learned my babesiosis is completely gone. It's taken a few years. So I'm on a healing journey. I'm not a success story. I'm not cured. Um, I'm going to be walking this walk and having to work this protocol every day of my life. And I've seen the very winding path that this has taken me on. But all that being said, I have tremendous hope for the future. And not just for me, but for anyone who's willing to use this approach.
1: So you've been on this journey for how long now? How many years? Well,
2: let's see. I was fifty when I did the twenty-three and Me testing, and I'm about to turn fifty-seven. Okay. So I've been on it for a long time.
1: <laughs> so you've done a tremendous amount of healing of self-discovery.
2: Oh um, my!
1: And as you said, it's kind of it's a windy road. You have your ups and your downs. It's
2: not. It's. It's not
1: straightforward. No. no.
2: Yeah, and I'm sure you know that from working with your patients. And Dr. Bredesen describes it like peeling the layers of the onion. At first we thought it was some emerging insulin resistance, some low vitamin D, you know, a poor diet. But then the more of the layers of the onion we peel, look what was driving all of that. It was this underlying babesiosis infection, which as you know, it's a parasitic infection, very similar to malaria, and I'd had it for 15 years. So, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of self-discovery for sure.
1: Yeah, when I did my, do, my training with Dr. Bredesen uh, years ago, um, it was very apparent that each and every individual is unique right. in, their, <laughs> right. in their makeup and what they need to do to get treated, to improve. Um, and so this is not like a cookbook.
0: Um, it
1: it really is needs to be applied very individually and that as I've been seeing patients and treating patients that it um it can be difficult you know you do have to make lifestyle changes Um, one of the big ones diet wise is switching to a high fat diet and um for our generation gen x and older you know we grew up being told fat is bad, right? that is terrible, you should, eat, you should eat low what? fat, <laughs> and then to try and explain to these patients that no, you actually need a high fat diet, it's, right. it's, hard, it's hard for them to grasp and then that it also just takes time, like this is a constant fight and it takes time to implement all of these changes it takes time to see those changes and if you're not seeing changes there's something that's being missed like you were saying Julie that you felt you were plateauing right so it's like okay why am I plateauing there's still something missing and you discovered the sears and the babesiosis
2: Right, right. And I love that you talked about how difficult it is for people to start using a high-fat diet. I felt like it was jumping off a cliff. I felt like, okay, I'm already at risk for heart disease because apoe 4 is associated with that, and now I'm going to begin using this higher-fat diet. And it, it was scary, but I have to say for me, Getting into ketosis, which I now do in a very different way, but getting into ketosis was probably one of the most healing things for my body. Um, As you're probably aware, ApoE4 carriers have a reduced cerebral glucose utilization in the brain that starts as early as age 20. But it gets exacerbated with the onset of menopause, which is when I was having my symptoms. It's, it's also exacerbated with insulin resistance, which I was also exhibiting without even knowing it. So my brain was starving for fuel, and ketosis was one of my most um, helpful strategies.
1: And so um, you are now working with Dr. Bredesen with his new book.
2: I am. And
1: um, I know for from a personal level, you know, I, I recommend his book, so often, and a lot of his book is quite technical. and and right. um, readers don't quite understand it. And I tell them, that's okay. You don't have to understand everything. You just kind of have to get a big picture that there's a lot of moving pieces, and we just right. to, like figure it out
2: right. And that's something we're struggling with. We have to be technical enough to convince the scientists that are reading the book, but we have to be, make the language simple enough that everyday lay people who are reading it can understand and follow. So that's been a little bit of a struggle. But the part of the book that I'm helping Dr. Bredesen with, I'm so excited about. It's the handbook portion. So we're basically providing detailed instruction on all of his recommended strategies. People struggle so much with the diet. So we're we're revealing our food pyramid we take a super deep dive into diet, uh, the best to exercise, ways to reduce stress, how to optimize your sleep, all the many ways you can enhance your cognition. It's not just brain training. There's so many things we can do. We talk about supplements and avoiding toxins and all of these lifestyle changes, and I'm really excited. I think people are hungry for this information.
1: I think they're hungry and it's just so very much needed. So I practice up here in Canada and, you know, we have socialized medicine and, and when patients come in, I, I have to tell them, I kind of have to break their heart and tell them like the medical standard of care for treating dementia and Alzheimer's is maybe to prescribe you a pill like Aricept and to just watch you decline. Like that, that is how your doctor is going to treat you and that your, yes. your doctor does not know the Bredesen Protocol, will not understand the Bredesen Protocol. And even if they do understand it, technically they cannot implement it because it's not the standard of care that they have to abide by.
2: Wow. Yeah, and we have the same problem in the States, of course. Yeah. Um, when I went to see a neurologist and I told him that I was concerned about my cognitive health, do you know what he told me, Dr. Perry? He said, good luck with that. That's the only thing he was able to offer me. Other members of our APOE4.info community have been told by their physicians and neurologists to go home and wait for it. I mean, mainstream medicine, you're so right, has absolutely nothing to offer other than two or three medications like nemenda or Aricep that might very temporarily improve symptoms, like for a week or a month, but they do nothing to change the trajectory of this disease process.
1: Yeah, so what happens is these patients, they get beat down, they get yes. discouraged, right, and then they almost can't believe, like, How could Dr. Bredesen's protocol work for me? My doctor just told me, or my neurologist just told me, you know, it's not going to work. And it's just, again, I'm so excited that you're on today to help share your story and your journey and your successes, because it is possible,
2: Oh, it is absolutely possible, and I would do what you're doing, recommend that your patients read The End of Alzheimer's, recommend that they visit our community at APOE4.info, and they can see lots of people that are having success, and we cheer each other on every step of the way. We've also partnered with the Functional Medicine Coaching Academy, and we have uh, a rotating team of interns that have done Um, advanced coursework in reversing cognitive decline that people can use as health coaches. So, I mean, we're doing all we can to spread this information widely. It's freely available. We are a nonprofit because we know the obstacles and roadblocks that people run into when they go to visit their physicians and they're not getting um, direction and they're not getting any hope.
1: And so, Julie, as you think back over the past seven to ten years and basically like what you started kind of as a grassroots, you know, movement on your own health and then finding these other people out there in the world on these forums and connecting and then seeing what you've built and seeing what Dr. Bredesen has built and just the, all of that information that's now out there just in the past five years even, just right. globally to help people, give them answers and give them direction. It's amazing.
2: Oh, it's absolutely amazing. Um, you know, one thing that we're about to launch into that I'm so excited about is we want to promote more research. Um, you know, there's all these academic scientists that are using mice genetically engineered to develop Alzheimer's. Well, we're raising our hands and saying, let's use Humans. So, we're trying to create partnerships now between researchers and our community, and it's been really exciting. As you probably know, several pharmaceutical giants are pulling out of Alzheimer's research altogether because trial after trial after trial is failing and it's not profitable. I get it. Um, they've been primarily targeting the beta amyloid theory targeting a beta itself and it's not working so they're losing money and they're pulling out of this arena at the same time we're facing this public health crisis i mean depending on what statistic you want to believe alzheimer's is somewhere between the third and sixth leading cause of death today Uh, in the united states we project that our 5.7 million sufferers today are going to grow to 14 million by the year 2050 costing our country $1.1 trillion. The lack of an effective Alzheimer's treatment is the greatest failure of modern medicine. I mean, by far. So we're so excited. We've been building this infrastructure to conduct our own self-organized trials guided by various researchers. Members of our board and our scientific advisory committees have been meeting with these candidates, many that want to test out new biomarkers or various strategies. And we've selected a few that we're going to be moving forward with. And we'll be making some announcements about that shortly. Um, So we're really excited. It's like we're, pharma has abandoned us. Mainstream medicine has abandoned us. We have skin in the game. And we're not tied uh, in any way financially to anyone. We're not worried about academic tenure. We're citizen scientists that want to move the science forward. And that's our only goal, to save our own lives and the lives of people that we care about.
1: Julie, you've been so open and candid in our interview today. Do you have any parting thoughts, anything left that you want to share for the listeners out there?
2: I just want to encourage people to give this approach a try. Um, As Dr. Bredesen always points out, you don't have to be perfect. You know, my New Year's resolution every year is to be as good as my protocol that's described in one of the chapters in the end of Alzheimer's. I'm far from perfect. But I do enough that I get results that are self perpetuating. I want to follow the protocol because it makes me feel so much better. So if nothing else, I want to give people hope. I invite everyone to visit our website, APOE4.info, to learn more. And I also invite researchers to contact us at research at APOE4.info. We want to evaluate anything that could potentially help us, and we want to partner with them directly.
1: Julie, thank you so much for being my special guest today. This has been an awesome interview.
2: Thank you, Dr. Carey.
1: All right, that wraps up this very special episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show with Julie Gregory. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. And I'd like to invite you back next time for another episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc. Have a great week, everyone.